We're going to be a bit self-indulgent this week. This is our 100th episode. And so in this episode, we reflect on the experience and share what we've learned. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? I got a new microphone. Can you hear uh, a difference? <laughs> it's so much better than your last mic. <laughs> Is it? Do you, do you, can you actually tell? I can't tell. I'm terrible. I, I, I love sound, but I have no way to, I'm not good at telling the difference between good and bad sound. Yeah. So here's my quick rundown, just because I'm guessing a number of people who listen also have their own podcasts and stuff. Um, the reason I, I'm at the office today uh, like my company's office, not my home office. And so this is actually not a better microphone. It's just a different one because I had to, I had to get something for my second setup in the office. Um, so this is the sure SM, uh, I'm sorry, sorry. This is the sure M seven, which my one at home is the sure SM seven B. The SM seven B is like the mic. It's like every podcaster, every radio station, a lot of musicians use it but it's like pretty expensive and complicated to use. This is kind of the cheaper version and it goes directly into your computer instead of needing a bunch of other uh, like equipment. That sounds like the one for me. Yeah. Now the question is, is it actually any better than yours? Cause you have like a $70 mic. I have this one's 250 and then the good one I have at home, it's 400 bucks for the mic. Plus you need a USB audio interface, which is like 110 bucks. Plus you need like a pre-processor, like a cl- cloud lifter or something. And it comes out to like seven or 800 bucks all in. And, it, and like, there's all these knobs you have to fiddle with. So it's, it's, I wouldn't recommend it probably, but what, yeah. What was the configuration complexity for that one? Yeah, this one's pretty cool. Um, it comes with, so there's, it plugs USB directly into the computer just the way yours does. But what's different is it comes with some software that Sure makes. And it doesn't have a ton of settings, but like you can turn up the gain. You can, it has like a limiter and a compressor, which is basically the thing that if you talk quieter, it makes you louder. And if you talk loud, it makes you quiet rather than, so, so it's just a little more audible. It's good for podcasting, but arguably bad for other things. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really easy. I don't, I don't know if it actually sounds, you know, three times better than what you've got though. <laughs> it's always hard to tell when we're recording. I, I think it's easier to tell when the episode's published. So I'll let you know once I list, re-listen to the episode. Yeah. Okay. There's another thing to consider though, which is like we use Zencaster. They produce it automatically. So they do like, let's say your audio is quieter than mine. They'll automatically correct those levels. So it doesn't, it's not necessarily a true comparison of the microphones, but then again, if it can be corrected after recording, who cares? Who cares? Yeah, so, totally. Anyway, fun toys though. You love you love uh, playing with your mics. Yeah. Well, and I got my whole my whole desk. You you can't see it, but I've got my whole desk set up in my office now. Three monitors. I'm I'm good to go. So I thought that uh, in office days were Wednesday, Thursday. Not we're recording this on Tuesday. So what are you doing in the office? Good question. Um, so that's my next topic, which is we are interviewing people. Uh, for the new software engineering position. And we tried to get people to come in on Wednesday and Thursday since like everybody will be in the office those days. But a lot of uh, we, this is a second interview on an off day. So I've been in every day this week. 
Oh man. Well, uh, such a rough life. (laughs) Are you getting close? I saw your schedule. You tweeted your calendar. It looked like a, it looked like a salesperson's calendar. And I guess that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Um, honestly, a lot of it wasn't even interviews, but I just, I have meetings like nonstop this week. Um, but yeah, we're, we're only doing probably five in-person interviews, so it's not like too bad, but we'll, we'll get done with it next week. Quality candidates. I guess you have to say yes. Yeah, no, you have to say yes, but no, I, yes, I think so. And I talked earlier about like, this is a whole new interview process where we're not asking them questions. We're actually like working with them as if as close as we can get to working with an actual employee. And uh, so far, I think it's been going really well. It's a very different experience. Do you feel like you're getting uh, to a point where you're, are you, are you increasing the confidence with which you can make a decision or is that too hard to tell right now? <laughs> it's hard to tell. And one of the reasons why is we've never done this before. So like, I'm not cal- like the old way, some five minutes in, I could be like, this person is not on track to do well. Whereas now I'm not calibrated. The other thing that's tough is, Okay, so there's like this dilemma with with interviewing, which is what you want to do in a perfect world is give each candidate a 100% bespoke customized experience because everyone's strengths are different. So of course, you want to let them show those strengths in their own way. The flip side to that, though, is now you're doing an apples to oranges to grapefruits comparison because every interview is different. And so I'd say like I learn more about people, but it is harder to compare them, if that makes sense. That's actually kind of a good thing if you're trying to pick one person because you're just going to you're going to learn about all these people and you're going to pick the one person that you feel based on how you who they are fits best in the role. It's less of it sounds like a skill potent, uh, evaluation and more so of a person evaluation. Yeah, um and I mean skills are still involved. It's just it's I think it's better at measuring soft skills. It's like so, how do yeah. they carry themselves in a meeting rather than like did they get this algorithm correct? Mm. It's something, you know, often we should, as entrepreneurs, be thinking, like, what can we do that a big company can't? A big company can't do that. They can't be like, okay, we have a thousand people doing interviews. Just use your judgment, right? They have to standardize it. So I do almost wonder if this is a competitive advantage for a small business to, like, do something that couldn't scale, which mm-hmm. I think this this couldn't scale probably. Well, cool. I can't. Um, you, will you make an offer this week or is that... No, we have, we have at least two interviews next week. Hope, I'd say end of next week is the earliest, but um, it might drag on a little longer than that because a couple people are we're having a hard time scheduling. Are there any? Is there anyone that you're, you have the feeling of, can we just stop the interview process now and hire them? Do you have that I, kind of high, high hopes for anyone? Um, I'd say we have those hopes going into the final round of interview, but I am... So I know my weakness and my weakness is when I'm talking to you, I want to hire you. It doesn't matter who you are. I, I get so excited about hiring people. And so I have to fight that instinct where like every, every person I interview, I talk myself into like, this is the best person we've ever interviewed. And it, that's just a weakness of mine. Oh, I, I hear you. Yeah. Um, and then we're also starting to kind of think through like, once we hire this person, what's onboarding going to look like? You know, we've never hired an experienced developer really, other than like in the very, very early days, kind of almost as a founder. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm putting on my, it's a lot of work, but like the interviewing, the recruiting process, and then one, you know, how are we going to get them into the actual code base? Oh man, I can't, I'm glad I'm not having to deal with that right now. So <laughs> you have to be so patient. Yeah, I actually, if, if I have one takeaway every time I do this, it's just like, don't treat this as a side project. Like, if you're leading the interview process, 
give yourself 20 hours a week for a month to, or, or whatever the amount of time is, but don't be like, oh, I'm going to squeeze it in between meetings and it won't be a big deal because you're probably going to hire the wrong person. They're not, they're going to be less likely to accept if you're not giving it the attention it needs. Like this is arguably the most important part of a job for a company that's hiring people. Oh yeah. I mean, th- when you think about what the management gurus say about what a good manager does, most of them say they spend the majority of their time hiring. Uh, mm-hmm. that's because it, it's because one, that's a really important activity to get the right people on the bus, but it's also because it's super hard. Yeah. I, and I've heard that this is the one thing a CEO never delegates. Like it, you delegate it in the sense that at a big company, obviously Mark Zuckerberg is not hiring every engineer at Facebook, but Mark Zuckerberg is hiring the VPs or whatever. Um, that like, if you ever stop being involved in hiring, it's not a good sign is my understanding. Yes. Have you ever re- uh, heard of Derek Sivers? He's a guy mm-hmm. online. He founded a company called CD Baby years ago, like in the early 2000s, Yeah, maybe even in the late 90s. Um, he wrote a book called Anything You Want. Have you read this book? No, I haven't. It's 80 pages. You should pick it up. It's almost like you wrote the book because his philosophy on business is very similar to yours. It's just very, just different. Um, we, he's a weird business guy um, like you. Uh, which is good. That's a compliment. Thanks. Thanks. Um, but, but he, uh, he, he was talking about, I'm trying to remember what we were just talking about to connect the thought. What, what was the, just that you never delegate hiring. Yes. Yeah, so he, he, he has a chapter in the book called delegate, but don't abdicate. Mm. Um, and he, he over delegated hiring. And this is my take on what he told in the book. But one of his stories is he, he basically let other people do all the hiring as a CEO. And eventually he came back to the office and there was a mutiny and huh. he had 80 employees who had basically given themselves all of the profit sharing and had hired everyone and all everyone hated him. <laughs> Yikes. Um, so there's like, it's not, there's kind of multiple, multiple reasons not to delegate. One is to make sure that you're, uh, you're making good decisions. But the other is when you delegate, hiring to the point of like letting other people decide who comes on the bus, there's a huge potential that you're delegating power at the company as well in a, in a, in a negative way. Yeah. So if I can, I'm going to like draw a tenuous connection here back to that base camp stuff we were talking about a, a month or two ago. Um, one of the topics that came up in that is like, do founders just get to do whatever the hell they want or do employees have some ownership in the decision making. And I think, you know, I've thought more about it since we had that conversation. I think where I land on this is like, certainly legally, the owners can do whatever they want. I'm not talking legally here, but like, I think they have, owners have an obligation to endow their employees with a certain amount of decision making power. The ways the owners, the, the way the owners influence the decisions is by hiring the people they want to hire. And then the decisions are derived from that. It shouldn't be let someone else hire them. Don't worry about it. And then overrule everybody when they disagree with you. Yes. Yes. And that, that can happen. It's a lot. It can happen either way, whether you're hiring the people or delegating the hiring, the key is getting the right people on the bus that you're, you're that, that aren't going to abuse the power that you give them. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, what else? Um, I had something I wanted to run by you. Uh, so I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I mentioned this CRM cost calculator thing that uh, for, for anyone who doesn't remember that, basically, um, we're going to make some bottom of funnel content for less annoying CRM that's going to be like 
here's how much every CRM costs. Cause it's not easy to figure it out. Cause there's different things like how many users do you have? How many contacts do you have? What features do you need? It can be kind of hard to figure this out. So we're going to make a little calculator to, to tell people this. And we've been bouncing around the question of, does this go on lessannoyingcrm.com, you know, just as some subpage, or do you make like crmcostcalculator.com and make it a little mini site? I've heard people do both ways. Uh, do you have any instincts here? I don't. Get it out. Yeah. Okay. That That's where I was leaning is it's obviously easier to put it on our current site. So that's what I'm yep. going to do. But just b- humor me for a second. Okay. We're going to do that. But like just someone else listening might be going through the same thing. What, this is what like my advice for aspiring entrepreneurs. Just get started. It's not really interesting radio. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, what, what, what has you thinking about this? Why are you interested in? Eunice, our marketing person just kind of suggested it. And I, I have heard people have a lot of content success with this where they basically say no one, th- there's like a certain amount of trust that's burnt if you go to lessannoyingcrm.com and there's a, a, you know, what is a CRM cost calculator? Whereas I, there are people who've had really good success making these, like, uh, I forget who, I wish I remember the examples, but there's somebody who has like 20 different sites like this. And that's their whole business is they just have these little mini sites. And they say, because it's so focused, people are really more likely to share it because it seems like the authority on the topic. When people Google it and they see that the domain name is the question they asked, I think it's just a little easier to get it going. Yeah, so that's great. I and I probably agree with that. If SEO wasn't the primary driver yeah. of this, so um, the, the reason SEO search engine optimization is relevant here is we we think that because of less annoying CRM's uh, domain authority with Google, by putting this on the less annoying CRM website, you're going to be able to rank pretty quickly for some longer tail keywords related to CRM pricing. Um, if you put this on another site, you're you're basically losing that, and you're starting over. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors that influence whether you show up in Google. One of them is domain authority, which is different from page authority. So maybe like this is oversimplification, but maybe it's easier to build page authority with the mini site, but it's harder to build domain authority, or at least it's not building domain authority for the the asset we actually care about. Yeah. And I would just say that goal number one with this is to get eyeballs on it so that you can decide whether or not it's a, you know, a good thing to spend time on. And it seems like the quickest path to that is leveraging your SEO authority with with your existing asset versus trying to solve another problem, which is making it, I mean, it seems like that's a conversion question really of what, what, what moving it off site does is maybe increase the, Oh, you got someone on it. Maybe they're more likely to trust it and use it and do something with it. Well, that's a secondary problem. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's where we landed. I just wanted to confirm it that, and just to reiterate, Speed of shipping is a big thing, and then we can always move it to a mini site later for any reason. So, like, let's not agonize over it. Okay. Yeah, the, the other way to look at this uh, is there's way more downside. There's there's sort of asymmetric upside and downside with offsite versus onsite. You've got way like way more way lower risk with upside on with putting it on your current site, whereas yeah. you actually increase the risk dramatically with little upside with very little much more upside than if you put if you put it off, if, if you put it off the site. It's actually gotten worse that calculation since we switched to webflow too. It's mm. like when we hosted everything ourselves like you can have multiple sites hosted by the same server so it doesn't really cost anything extra but in webflow you know we're paying enough it's not huge but if we did like 10 of these mini sites that adds up to hundreds of dollars a month and maybe none of them are working so yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh cool what's going on with you? 
I've got very few updates this week. I finished my JavaScript course and then I had a really hard time getting into anything else. Uh, and then my dad um, decided to come out somewhat on a whim. It's been planned for a couple of weeks, but it's uh, his first time coming out since they've lifted the pandemic uh, or the quarantine restrictions. And he's meeting Oliver, his first grand- grandkid. Hmm. So he's staying with us uh, and it's really, really fun. That's cool. So I'm taking some time off this week and uh, enjoying him. I, I'm going to do a few things in the morning, but mostly um, mostly just wrapping up some loose ends. Nothing crazy. That's cool. How How's the business going? Because I feel like you know, you're doing the JavaScript thing. You've been doing a lot of not... I don't want to say it's not essential because it's like long-term it's essential, but not like day-to-day operating the company stuff. Is it just chugging along? Yeah. I mean, the business is very seasonal. So it's uh, you know, 90% of the work I'm just sort of accepting is going to be 90% of the growth of the business is going to happen in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. which I'm just sort of coming to terms with. Um, I, and then, you know, I, it, no one, I, I lose one client every other month. So out of 40 clients, that's not a lot. And so and usually that client is replaced by a word of mouth driven client. So it's a steady state, 2K a month, plus leg up benefits, another 500, so $2,500 a month and just sort of sitting there. So wow, not bad. Uh, and then I, I'm, I'm, but I am getting, anxious, a good anxious around promotion. I'm starting to get excited about talking to people, but I just, I need, I'm trying to push that off and stay focused on the, on building mode for another month. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, to do that. Cause I know I'm going to not be able to come back to that for a while. I feel like leg up benefits doesn't have to be as seasonal as leg up health is going to be. What do you think about that? Well, that's, I think that, uh, potentially there are two reasons I like leg up benefits. One is, once you're installed, it's a it's an it's a it's sort of anti seasonality for leg up health because turnover happens at a company year round, and the the event of getting hired at a company that doesn't offer traditional health benefits but does offer leg up benefits is a you know a, you know non seasonal lead generation for leg up health. Um, so leg up benefits getting installed somewhere solves the seasonality problem for leg up health. Yeah. But leg up benefits itself is still somewhat seasonal because the the brain of a small business owner generally thinks seasonally in terms of benefits, um, which for better or for worse. So I 100% agree with that. For a company that offers like traditional group health insurance, they certainly think of it seasonally. If any, For anyone who's never done this before in the U.S., there's like a 15 day period where it's like the insurance company says, this is the time all your employees have to get in. Like it's just forced upon you. But someone who doesn't have health insurance, I feel like you could go in anytime and be like, Hey, why don't you add this? And and I, we will. Um, what, what I'm, what I'm finding is that the leg up benefits sales cycle sort of mimics the consumer sales cycle. It's just mimics the business owners cycle or the the really important employee cycle. So employees don't start caring about benefits until the end of the year when they're, they don't start complaining about their health insurance until open enrollment comes around. They're like, why do we have to buy our own health insurance? And then the business owner is sort of doing the same thing. It's sort of compartmentalized. The, the, The thing that changes that is trying to hire someone important. So there's a, there's this event, sort of like a life event for, you know, a it's the, it's sort of the reaction to, uh, you know, someone leaving a group health insurance plan and coming to a company that doesn't offer health insurance, they, they sort of hold up the hiring process and go, Oh, you don't offer health insurance. And that can send a small business owner on a journey. But usually mm-hmm. that can be solved by giving the, that individual person more money much quicker than installing benefits for everyone. So it's not a great life, a great event. So I think no matter what, like our, 
sale into leg up benefits will probably be seasonal, less seasonal cer- certainly than leg up health because of the, I think the, the, the hiring yeah. year round, but, but the more leg up benefits customers we get, the less seasonal leg up health will be. That makes sense. Um, cool. So, and I had one other question. Oh yeah. Uh, you took like the Memorial day weekend fully off and disconnected. Um, and now your dad's here and you're not fully off, but you're kind of taking more time off, but you also had a kid recently. How's your just like burnout state? I'm actually really good. Uh, you know, once I clarified the definition of burnout for myself as the opposite of engagement, I've, I find myself managing it a lot better. Um, like for example, when I was working on the JavaScript stuff, I let myself a couple of days work on something that I was really good at, um, related to ricklinquist.com, uh, and then also the podcast. And so I, I'm, I'm managing it well. So I don't, I feel fine. Um, I, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm actually kind of generating energy to go out to promote and I'm mm-hmm. having to sort of squash that a little a bit. Little. Um, so I, awesome. I'm, I think, uh, I'm, and I love Tink, you know, now that I've got JavaScript skills, I love the puzzle, you know, the puzzle building of, working on these little uh, coding problems I'm going to be at. So I'm going to have a lot of fun, I think, over the next 30, 45 days. And um, I'm, in, I'm excited to see what what we get done. Um, and then I'm super excited about being able to go start focusing on generating, you know, getting more customers. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it because, like, I I respect doing the product stuff, but, like, I feel like your sweet spot's going and getting customers. So uh, mm-hmm. I want to see that at some point here. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's also, like like, most of my relationships, I don't usually, I don't have a, I think this is where we're a little different. I don't have a ton of friends that aren't related to business thing, things or things that I'm passionate about, uh, which is mostly learning. And And so I find, uh, I think the pandemic sort of lifting and quarantine lifting and it being summer, I'm, I'm, I want to go out to eat with people and go do fun things. But most of the reasons I would want to go do that are promotion related because of mm. like their relationships that can help grow leg up health. And I'm having a hard time balancing like, should I prioritize that now or do I push that for a month? And I'm having, I just kind of want to go have fun with people. Uh, do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've, I'm going through the same thing. I normally, I like to week uh, work one or two nights a week. Um, and you know, now that we, we, you know, we put that on hold for a year, I'm certainly just like, like I'm drinking four or five nights a week and I know Ooh. that's not sustainable. And like, I don't even like, it in aggregate i like it in the in the moment but in aggregate i don't but i'm just like fuck it i haven't gone out with people in so long i'm, I'm gonna live my life for a little bit <laughs> there you go yeah so maybe i just need to start working those in ahead of time but every time you every time i go out with someone i haven't seen in a while it turns into a follow-up and it mm. creates distraction from what i should be focused on so gotcha. it's, there's there's a double-edged sword there yeah okay interesting yeah so that's that's all the updates i have really exciting week for me um, all right. I've got, I've got two things, but I'm only going to talk about one of them and then we can dive into the, uh, the hundred episode topic. Um, this is going to be real quick. So we've talked a couple times before about courses and by course, I mean like you make an online course or like delivered over email or something like that. And a topic we've talked about in the past is like, how do you get people to complete the courses? Because it's easy to get people to sign up and it's really hard to get people to actually complete it. And I saw this um, Twitter thread about it, which I'll try to remember to link to in the show notes, uh, that had an interesting idea. It's like a whole thread with really only one point, so it could have fit into a single tweet. But the point is this. um, 
I think it's for like a weight loss course or something. Nobody was going through it. And so the creator just started making everyone promise to finish. That was it. So you'd sign up for the course. He'd send you a form that's like, type your name. And I don't know if it's like an e-signature or what exactly, but it was just like, I pledge that I will do this. And then you don't get any content until you you fill this out. And apparently 50% of people are completing the course now. And fifty like percent of people now are super happy with the course because they're finishing it and probably getting results too. Yeah. Oh man. So two things here: one, interesting on courses, but number two, a theme you and I regularly talk about, and this is just a really good example of it, is just when problems are really hard. Sometimes just saying it out loud is is the solution. Just if people aren't finishing your course, just be like, "Hey, finish the course." This this is just to take this and run with it for like a pelt. I mean, all the time I, I'll I'll talk to someone who has health insurance, doesn't really have a life event right now, but can get a better deal by switching, and they just procrastinate the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. And to the point of months go by, months go by, and they don't make a decision. And by the time at some point, it's like I'll just wait till the open enrollment. But this could apply in that situation where it's like, listen, most people procrastinate with health insurance. I'm happy to help you with this, but if we're going to jump on a call and go through this, I want your commitment that you're going to make a decision to, uh, I want, I want your pledge that you're going to make a decision to either switch or not switch until the end of the year by the end of the month. Yeah. I love it. This, this also has to do with, uh, I've talked about on the customer service side of less annoying. We want to reduce waste. We want to reduce the bad calls without getting rid of the good calls. I, I don't know exactly know how to do this, but like, could we just be like, Hey, we'll do a demo with you, but you need to promise you are going to take it seriously or just something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the reality is that people don't want to procrastinate. People don't want to spend time on things that aren't useful. So if you can trick them in a way, kind of Mm -hmm. lean on their psychological tendencies to increase the probability that they're going to be successful in what they're spending time on, that's a win-win. Yeah, it's like it's the reason you hire a coach or like a personal trainer or something. It's like you don't need someone to tell you how to lift weights. Like you p- pick up something heavy. That's how you lift weights. You need someone to like make you feel bad if you don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Prey on your your psychological weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, so cool. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, all right. You want to move into uh, so we've, we I kind of mentioned this in the intro but we this is episode number 100 for the podcast so uh first of all congrats to you rick and i guess to me <laughs> uh, <laughs> happy 100th yeah. birthday start to last this is cool though like you know 2 years basically yeah i mean i re- i remember when i was visiting you it was last not wasn't the last time i saw you in person but one of the last times and it was in st louis mm-hmm. and we went to st uh, st louis blues hockey game or two i can't remember if we went to two or one Oh yeah, it was that so playoff fun. game, right? Oh, it was so fun. Um, but we uh, we kind of just sort of said, "Hey, you want to start a podcast at the same time?" And we did it. Yeah. And I had never listened to podcasts before. <laughs> and now you do, right? Oh, I, all the time. I just, I've already listened to two today. Nice. Uh, yeah, and it, it's kind of like surprisingly been like a pretty major influence. Like one of the things I'm going to say in a bit is it it doesn't take a huge amount of time, but what it has done is like the two of us talk every week at a bare minimum because we used to be roommates. We used to work together like every day at a startup. And then we 
kind of the way when people move away, you know, we would talk occasionally, but not really. And um, anyway, we'll, we'll get into more of that, but it really has been kind of like life-changing uh, deciding to start a podcast. Yeah. I'd, well, we're going to talk a lot about that. So I'm going to. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Out. I should shut my mouth. Okay. So we've got two, uh, two listeners were nice enough to uh, send us little audio clips um, about this. So the first one is from uh, Steve, who's my friend and you met at uh, the bachelor party. So here's. Yes. And yeah. this is this is Steve Rogers, which Steve is Rogers, uh, Captain America. Yeah, yeah Captain America. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hi, Rick and Tyler. Longtime listener, first time caller, who wanted to congratulate you on a hundred episodes. While I first listened to Startup the Last, because I know you two personally, I've kept listening because your conversations are both interesting and informative, even to someone who's not run a small business. Topics covered in the podcast, like time management or people management, can be applied to a wide range of contexts. I'm looking forward to learning more from you two in the next hundred episodes. Keep up the good work. All right. Well, thank oh. you, Steve. Yeah, thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> he uh, he regularly texts me feedback uh, after he listens to an episode, and like, I gotta say, like, it's constant. Every time we're doing a recording, Steve's voice is in the back of my head, and he's like, "You just said that's interesting. You shouldn't have said that. You say that too much." <laughs> what, can I get these critiques? I need. I, I should. Need I should for. I, I every once in a while pass them on to you, but yeah. Well, I know. I need the. I need the the enunciation te- like and the speaking tweaks because I'm terrible. I was listening. We'll talk about this in a second, but there that that is one of the benefits of listening to a, yourself talk as you notice all of the bad habits you have yeah. in verbal communication. Except then the moment you start recording again, like your brain goes back into panic mode and you forget everything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Well, thanks, Steve. And then here is the next one from Chris. Hey, what's up, Tyler and Rick? This is Chris, uh, founder of JetBoost.io. Uh, love the show and want to say congrats to you guys on the 100th episode. That's, a, that's an awesome milestone to hit. Uh, I'm curious, uh, looking back now, what has surprised you the most about uh, doing the Startup to Last podcast? You know, have there been any unexpected benefits or uh, downsides to doing the show? Uh, just just curious to hear you guys' thoughts on that, uh, reflecting a little bit uh, on the the uh, lifespan of, of the show so far. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. I think we're we're both fans of uh, JetBoost, so it's cool that he listens. <laughs> yeah, and he has a podcast of his own called Default Alive with a guy named Corey. And uh, actually, just that was one of the podcast episodes I listened to d- to today. Um, so it's kind of cool uh, to be part of this founder update community. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. So he kind of asked about um, if there's anything that's been a surprise. I'm guessing this will also bleed into just general what we've learned. But uh, where do you want to start here? I'd love to hear your biggest you know, surprise, whether it's good or bad. And then, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're going to say. So I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. So I don't know if this is my biggest surprise, but the first thing I have written down here uh, is how easy it has become. And that might sound just not interesting because like, why would a listener care? But I saw a Twitter thread int- uh, recently and I wish I forgot. For, uh, I wish I remember who it was from. It was actually a couple people, and I'm kind of combining all their thoughts together. But it perfectly summarized why I think these founder podcasts are valuable. Because, and it's not just like I'm saying why this podcast is valuable, but like I listen almost exclusively to other ones like this. Why? And I think it's fundamentally because it's easy. The Twitter thread was basically saying the first person said, "Just a reminder 
creating content's really hard. And so the only people who build up big followings talking about startup advice are not the people who are actually starting startups. They're content people who have a reason to build the audience, right? They're monetizing the audience directly rather than like talking about the startup they're building. So basically the tweet was, beware, don't listen to startup advice you see online because it's from the wrong people. And then someone else chimed in and said, this is why I love these founder podcasts. They're so easy to make that people who otherwise would not spend their time sharing do it. Because like you and I would want to talk for a week, uh, for an hour every week anyway. It's very, it's 10 minutes of additional effort to create the podcast so way more so than blog posts or YouTube videos or anything like that. I think it's like fundamentally important that this is easy to make. Yeah, I, it's 10 minutes. I think I just want to say it again. 10 minutes spent prepping and publishing the website in addition to the one hour-ish we, we spend t- recording. Yeah. That's awesome. And you know, is this surprising? Actually, yeah, because the first 20 episodes we did... We were spending what the format we did, each of us picked a, a deep dive topic, wrote it up in Google Docs. The other person would go in and comment. So we spent, I don't know, like maybe an hour each prepping. And then afterwards, I was editing a lot more. I submitted it to get transcripts. And then you went in and edited the transcripts because they were terrible. Yep. It, it was like between the two of us, five to 10 hours per episode, maybe. Yep. Yep. And like if we hadn't changed that, there would be no podcast now, I think. Oh, no, it wasn't sustainable. <laughs> Um, and, and, and then cost wise, I think is a you know, low effort. There's time and there's money. I think we spend 40 bucks a month, uh, between, mm-hmm. uh, the, like the Zencaster tool we use to record and publish, um, and, and the other audio tools plus, uh, $20 a month for a transistor, uh, which is the pub, the hosting service. Um, and then I mean, we, we've invested in mics, frankly, I needed a mic anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I probably should have this mic whether I have a podcast or not. So I don't really count it. Yeah, agreed. And anyone who's starting a business, I'd say get at least the like entry level podcast mic, even if you don't have a podcast. Cause like I did a radio interview last week and like it was over the telephone, but I voiped in. So like I sounded better than I would have if I'd been using my phone, you know? That, that kind of leads into this is not necessarily a surprising benefit, but one of the benefits I listed was I've learned a lot about audio quality and it benefits me in a couple of different ways. It's not just the, uh, the pod, you know, the, the podcast that we're recording, but also how to, you know, stay like, make sure that when I'm a guest on another podcast or on the radio, uh, that I'm speaking into a mic clearly that, that I'm talking at a pace that's a little bit slower. Um, and then if I wanted to, I feel like if I wanted to produce or record a little show for a client, um, or do a screen share, I just have a lot more confidence in speaking into using the recording recorded voice uh, medium to to communicate with people. And I, I don't know that that was not expected for me, but it's obvious in hindsight. Yeah. And I think it, it like you just said, it bleeds over into so many other things. Uh, for me, giving presentations, internal presentations at the company, I'd been doing that for years, but I, a, now it's remote. Like I used to do it in person. Um, and like it, it really prepped, I think both of us for the pandemic, probably communicating online, but um, yeah, just the inflection of your voice and like realizing a topic is getting boring and trying to move on and stuff like these are skills that come up all over the place, not just when we're recording the podcast. Th- that That is so my biggest surprise benefit. I did not anticipate this at all. Um, what is just how valuable listening to our own 
episode would be. And there's, I can go on for days. So on this, um, I'm going to walk through a couple of examples. The first is more of a macro thing. It really is like an audio documentary or journal of your life, um, but more focused on business. For example, I just looked at some of the earlier episodes we did. And you, you, when you make progress on things and time goes by, you forget how much progress you've made, but you can oftentimes look back at a journal. The podcast is really easy to look back on because it's once a week and uh, the topics are pretty focused. So it's easy to scan and just go, oh yeah, I remember that. Um, a couple that I, I was skimming them and going, which ones have I made a lot of progress on? The, the second episode we recorded was called Fear-Based Decision-Making. And this was at a time where I was extremely reflective on my leadership ability and some of the mistakes I made at my previous company as a leader. And I, I've come a long way around fear-based decision-making and preventing myself from being in a position around fear-based decision-making. I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. And But for the docu- documentation of this, I probably wouldn't remember that. Another one was how to make your first technical hire, which was episode number six, which is very similar to the episode number eight, which was how to teach yourself to code. This was when we were alternating topics. And so yeah. those were my, on my mind when I was starting my business was, how can I start a business without knowing how to code? How am I going to do this? And it was like, I was super scared. I remember in that one of those episodes, you're like, it's going to cost you 50% of your company if you're going to bring on someone really good. And I'm like, I, that's scary to me. Um, that, and that might make me le- make fear-based decisions. I don't like this. So um, anyway, I, today I can code and I feel I have a whole lot less concern around making a first technical hire. I also have a real business that makes it easier for me to attract technical talent if I wanted to go that route. Um, and then finally, dealing with impatience, episode number 37, I have gotten so much more patient as a result of, well, maybe part of it was talking about on this podcast, but I can, over the last 70 episodes, 60, 70 episodes, my person, my emotional, like sort of management and sort of ability to be okay going slow in the short term to go fast in the long term has gotten so much better. I can look back on the podcast and go, yep, I've, I've come, I made a lot of progress and I appreciate Hmm. that. That's very cool. I so I listen to every episode after we record it, which I think is super valuable for the reasons you said, like listening to yourself talk. Um, quick side note: I listen to a lot of podcasts where the people mention they never listen to it. I think that's such a mistake. Like even if you know all the topics, you can learn so much about your communication. Anyway, I haven't gone back and listened to past episodes. I should. Uh, I should do that. I didn't listen to them, but I did. Mm. I, I I did go back. I review. I. I kind of skimmed the the list. I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember. I remember that." Right, and okay. it kind of took me back to the conversation um, and where I was in that moment. I could feel it, and I was like, "Oh man, I've come so far." So I don't think you necessarily need to listen to them, but if you just go and skim the the episode, yeah. it's like because we had transcripts. Yeah, we had transcripts then, so that made it uh, easier. I do wish. I, I regret that we. Or I shouldn't say re- I regret. I wish we had transcripts still. It was it was so expensive and took so much time that it, it's it wasn't doable for us, but. Um, that was nice, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on the verbal communication front, I want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the things we've said. Um, this is more of the micro benefits. So um, speaking, uh, the, the verbal communication has two parts. And listening to myself talk, and this is immediately after we record, I listen to the episode. I notice my where I'm, where I'm struggling speaking and I'm not a good, I would say I'm not a good verbal communicator speaking wise. And I'm, I think I'm getting better, but it's hard to say, but I notice enunciation when I'm not saying a word clearly where I can even understand myself, you you notice, you know, void fillers like likes and ums. One thing I noticed last week, this was last week. 
I was saying anytime I don't understand, don't know how to explain something well, I, I answer basically. And I so I'll say basically, 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 basically. And, and when I'm saying basically, that means I probably should shut the hell up because I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so that's just an example of it's constant. You're, you're, you're listening to yourself and you're noticing um, little, little habits that aren't so great. And then kind of diving in about why this habit's happening and you can get better at this. The second side of, of verbal communication is listening. And this is, I, I don't know if you, you've picked up on this with your, with, with anything you do, but I've gotten better at not interrupting you. Um, I've gotten better and that, that bleeds into other conversations. Like mm-hmm. when I'm talking to my wife, for example, um, not finish, like finishing other people's sentences. I had, a, I have a really bad habit of that. I still do it a little bit on this podcast, but, and I notice it now in the moment. Um, and sometimes I'll, I won't catch myself right away, but I can go, oh, I'm, I'm, inter- I'm finishing sentences. That's not, that's not a good thing to do when you're listening to someone. Uh, another one is, I'm, if you go listen to some of our earlier po- podcast episodes, I was pretty disagreeable. Um, and I, f- I find myself, when I feel the need to disagree, instead of becoming combative um, and just being dis- just disagreeing outright, I'm get more curious and I'll, instead of say, no, no, you're wrong. I'll go, well, why do you think that? And that's hugely valuable. <laughs> hmm. um, and these are all things just from listening to myself one hour, you know, you know, if I record for one hour and then listen for 30 minutes on two X speed, I'm like, I notice these things and it, it I, I think it's gotten better. Cool. Yeah. I, <laughs> I hope we both have, I, yeah, in the early days, there were some episodes where we butt heads, uh, and I, I think you and I were both comfortable with it because like, I mean, back when we used to work together, we would like yell at each other and get really pissed at each other. But so I think we're used to it. But um, like my brother told me in the early days, he was like, sometimes I get kind of uncomfortable listening to you two like arguing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I don't think we do that so much anymore. I, I think, well, I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like we have more productive conversations. I think we go mm-hmm. deeper on things that normally we might have just said, let's just agree to disagree. Yeah. So two two thoughts on just to riff off what you said, one is, do you know the improv rule? Yes. And Mm-mm. so like if you're doing improv comedy where you're making up the plot as you go and, you know, there's at least two and maybe more people in most cases, uh, you can't deny what someone else said. So if someone's like, whoa, it's a dinosaur, you can't be like, that's not a dinosaur. That's just a cat. Cause it like messes up what the other person was doing. So you can say, oh, it's a dinosaur, but it's the size of a cat. You can build on what they say, but you can't like deny it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I think there's kind of a similar trick to what we're saying, where if you disagree with someone or something, like find something constructive to say rather than just be like, nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I actually, I, I have a lot to say about what you just said. And I'm going to forget most of my thoughts, but like talking to other people, you said, don't interrupt people. At the same time, interrupt people when they're going off on a, like a tangent. And um, I use this in meetings a lot more now where like people don't feel good after they've talked for five minutes and realized that it wasn't productive. Then you can just be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, <laughs> let's get back to the topic. I've actually found that we do this in the podcast more and I've, I've been bringing that into real life. And I don't think I think people really like when you do that politely. Politely, yeah. Key politely, and then, yeah, it, it's a it's an art though. Like, yeah, because if you do it too early, it's rude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing uh, related to that is uh, to this is 
I find myself much more comfortable. This is more uh, maybe just a benefit of the podcast and being recorded is I'm, I'm much more comfortable saying I don't know. Hmm. And that's maybe that's because I know that there's potential major downsides and saying the wrong thing on the podcast, which is a downside for the podcast. It's like, you can say the wrong thing and not realize it's the wrong thing until you've published. Um, and then you're like, uh, you hear it and you're like, uh, I can't believe I said that, especially as it relates to talking about other people. That is a like big learning for me. I, 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 anytime I mention someone on this podcast and I haven't gotten permission or it's not like me quoting them perfectly off of something that they've already published, I feel really, really uncomfortable with it. And that's led to me talking to people about people less in life. Um, so, but, but saying, I don't know, I, I feel much more comfortable saying, I don't know in general, because I can now say it and, you know, being recorded. Do, do you have anyone that in, like, you know, personally that listens to it and gives you regular feedback about it? I don't. So I know two people, Steve's one of them. And then my dad is the other. And based on interacting with the, them, I think it's not obvious to a listener how often I at least, and I'm guessing you feel the same way, say stuff that I regret. Mm. Like, cause if I, I talk, my dad and I regularly go on walks and he'll just be like, here are my thoughts on the episode. And he'll be like, when, when Rick said this, you really should have said this. And I'll be like, let me stop you. I know I should have said that. The second I re-listened to it, I was like, what is this idiot talking about? And I'm, by idiot, I mean myself. Like, it is so hard listening to yourself. And when you just whiff on a topic, but that's life, I guess. <laughs> no, it's, but it's definitely like you learn from, because you listen yeah. to yourself, you learn from it. And so, uh, yeah, I realize. I think the, yeah, the more I listen to myself, the more I'm like, it'd be better if you said, I don't know in that situation. Than, yeah. <laughs> than if you, if you had tried to rather than four basically. That's a good point. Um, you want to move on? I've, I've got another uh, Go little bullet item here. So uh, my next one is like, I, and this is back to Chris's question of what's surprising. Um, a small audience can really have a big impact. Uh, I thought this would be one of those things where either it would like not get many listeners in, in which case I thought we'd still do it because again, it's so valuable for the two of us to talk to each other. I thought we'd still do it, but it would be like, who cares that anyone's listening or it would grow and we'd have 10,000 people listening or something like this. We have 216 subscribers according to transistor. Um, that's like, not a lot. That's one-tenth of my Twitter following. The interactions that I get from this podcast are an order of magnitude more valuable than what comes from Twitter. I, th I mean, I, I get a lot of value from Twitter, but like, there are a handful of people I've never met before that like we talk weekly about. They give me feedback and thoughts on like Twitter DMs or something on the podcast. Like, It's just such a high fidelity form of like do you know the term parasocial i don't there's a new term that i had never heard until recently but now i hear it all the time and it's the idea of it's a social relationship it's not like a someone following a celebrity where you don't really like it's you feel like you know them but it's one way mm. and podcasts i think are the most parasocial medium i'm aware of where when you listen to someone talk for an hour a week, every single week, you really feel like you know them. You become invested in their lives. This is how I feel for the people whose podcasts I listen to. And I get the impression, even with our small following, people feel that way about us. Yeah. Well, that sounds like it's independent of following it. One person, if we had mm -hmm. one listener, that one person would have a parasocial relationship uh, with us. Um, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's, I totally agree with that. Um, and yeah, it's very intimate. Uh, it's, it's almost like, when you read someone's book 
and you it's about their life story and you feel like it's it's like that but it's almost more intimate because there's this dialogue that happens that sort of peels back layers that doesn't happen when there's a one-way talker mm-hmm. and so yeah because it kind of goes back to the I don't know statement where it's when we are riffing on each other and challenging what each other is thinking, it puts us on the spot. And that's super, uh, that's super intimate. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those parasocial relationships have turned into, I don't know, like symmetric or whatever, like a normal relationship is for me where not, I shouldn't say a lot, but like, again, there are a handful of people that I DM with on Twitter from time to time that I wouldn't have ever met if not for the podcast. So I guess like, I only say that to say, it's probably worth having a podcast, even if you never have a meaningful number. As, as long as some people listen, I think it's worth it. Yeah, I look at it as a beacon for like-minded people with shared interests. And it's v- really cool. Pe- relationships I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. one of This is like less of a... This is a bit of a tangent, but kind of related. We were talking with uh, Cortland from Indie Hackers recently because we do like we're in his podcast network and we do office hours with him. And he mentioned something, which also Justin Jackson, who runs Transistor.fm, our podcast host, mentions, which is podcasts like listener numbers are actually much lower than I think people realize. Um, Cortland has access. Well, both of them have access to a lot of other podcast download numbers. Uh, and Cortland was just telling us like, a really big podcast like his doesn't get as many like listens or whatever per episode as just like this mid- middle tier you've never even heard of it YouTube channel. Um, the, just the the medium I think is very interesting, but it's not a volume play. Mm-hmm. That kind of goes to the reason to do a podcast like this really isn't for the numbers; it's for mm-hmm. the depth of relationship. Um, and so, and the rela- I mean, kind of the relationship that you and I have developed um, with the person, the person you're co-hosting with. Yeah. Kind of needs to stand alone. And I know like a lot of these interview style ones where you bring a guest on every time. I think I I don't like that style personally, but I think that's also got value where like you meet a new interesting person every week that Mm -hmm. that's got some value too. Yeah. By stand by itself. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, What else? We kind of already touched on this, but just like, I've, I've become so much more comfortable of a public speaker from this. And I'm not, this is not something that comes naturally to me. Like I'm, I'm comfortable around my friends, but I'm very introverted and shy. And I would, I would say awkward. Like mm. if you put me in a networking event, even still today by myself, I will not, I will leave. Like <laughs> I have ne- I I refuse. It's the most miserable thing I can think of. Um, but if you put me on stage now, I'm fine. Really? Have, have you? Fe- I haven't had the opportunity to see if it transitions. I did a, a TV interview, but it was recorded on the webcast, and it went. I was surprisingly comfortable as a result of this podcast. But mm-hmm. I don't know how it's gonna gonna translate to stage, like live stage. Do you, have you That's have fair. you experienced that? Uh, not like literally a physical live stage. Yeah. Although I, I th- I'm I'm just like trying to put myself in this. I I don't think it would be a problem at all because. With when you're talking to one person, you're kind of like, do they think I'm cool? Like, I don't know. All these thoughts are going through my head. And when I'm in front of a microphone now, I'm like, I got to say something interesting, but that's that's my whole job, and I can do that. Yep. yep. <laughs> I'm not thinking about like my social relationship with the person on the other end in the same way. You're, it's you and the mic and a spotlight, and no one else is there. Yeah, which is such like an arrogant thing to say, given that we have like no listeners. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's repetition and practice. And yeah, that, that's really it, what yeah, I'm getting at is yeah. if you do something enough times, even if it doesn't come naturally, you're going to get 
comfortable, even if you don't get good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, one downside to switch it up is that, you know, sometimes you're tired when it's time to record, you'll wake up and you're having a good day. Something will happen throughout the day and then recording time comes and you don't want to do it. Uh, I have this occasionally, but you just got to do it and publish it. And oftentimes those are, <laughs> those end up being some of the more valuable episodes if you're willing to be vulnerable because you kind of get lifted up by the co-host in this case, Tyler lifts me up. And so, but it, there is an obligation to show up every week. And if you don't show up, you feel like you're letting, in this case, your co-host down, but also listeners down. Um, and there's pressure there. Yeah. And it's, I don't know if you ever feel this way where like, I almost sometimes at the end of the episode want to be like, sorry, that one wasn't very good, <laughs> but you can't, but like, the whole premise of this is that we think we're so important. People should be listening to us. I, I just, I feel really uh, imposterish whenever that happens. Cause I'm like the other person, the, the listener does not know. I realize that one sucked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I, I usually wait till after the recordings that I go, thanks for carrying us, Tyler. <laughs> I, it was not a good day for me. <laughs> well, and that goes both ways, but we have definitely had ones where like both of us were off and yeah. it's just like, like we, didn't, we didn't connect on any of the topics. We haven't had one of those in a while. Yeah, I think we're getting better at it. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Um, there, there have been a couple where I thought they were terrible, and then people reach out like that one was awesome. So, I'm like, <laughs> okay, maybe I just don't know. <laughs> uh, I one put other potential downside uh, is, and Tyler and I haven't spent a ton of time talking without being recorded as a result of. Well, I won't say as a result of the podcast, but maybe it's partly because of the pandemic, but. I do feel like if we want to talk about something, we usually save it for the podcast, which yeah. is usually is always recorded. And we sometimes we'll talk a little bit after the podcast, a little bit before, but um, so we spend less time talking sort of unguarded, I guess, uh, which I don't know if that's a, that's probably a bad thing, but maybe, maybe once the pandemic, once we start traveling again and seeing each other in person, I think that might go away. Yeah. I think in person would help, but, just a specific example of how this happened. This was just me being stupid, but I had like, I was dealing with an issue that I, I try to be very transparent and stuff, but if it's someone else's privacy, you know, it'd be totally unprofessional to share it on the podcast. There was something that I really should have asked your advice on, but I, and I thought about it, but I was like, well, I can't, I can't yeah. say that publicly. And and as soon as it was over, I was like, why didn't I just ask him not on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So there, there's probably, you know, that just, I think is, it just sort of happens naturally as you, when you develop a relationship, a recorded relationship with someone, it's, you kind of just compartmental, you kind of see the relationship that way. And it's, I think I need reflecting. I would like to be better about having some offline conversations with you. I agree. And, and also because while this is a fairly natural conversation, both of us are performing, mm -hmm. right? Like <laughs> you don't, you, you, you don't meet someone in this. It is in, more intimate than a blog post, but it is less intimate than an actual you know, conversation where you're not like, well, if I go five seconds without saying something interesting, you know, I'm going to look bad. Yep. Yep. Uh, what else? Anything else? Um, one thing I want to say, like a thing that we corrected from the early days. Uh, so did you know, I started a podcast at Lesson Learning CRM like years ago, we did, we recorded like three episodes and it bombed. No, I had no idea. We, we never even published it because we recorded it and we could just tell we were like, this is terrible. This is so bad. <laughs> Um, and the reason it was terrible is it was super dry. Mm. It just wasn't interesting. And the reason it was dry is because we were trying to share knowledge. And like we thought we knew the answers, 
And we were trying to share that with the listener. And it almost sounded like we didn't literally have a script, but it kind of just sounded like you're lecturing. You and I, I think, had a little bit of that in the early days where the format was we give very brief updates. And then we, again, pick that one topic and we'd spend like 45 minutes on that topic. And there were like maybe five good topics that you and I are both like legit. One of us is a legit expert on. And we probably had good things to say. But week after week, it got to the point where I just felt like preachy. And I thought it was kind of those t- topics got boring. And the only time they got interesting was when one of us took the other one on a tangent. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, let's say I'm the one giving the lesson. I'll say something. And then you'll be like, whoa, whoa, let me pull this off in a different direction. That's when they got interesting. And I think we we learned from that. It, for this format of podcast, workshopping ideas is what this is for. It is not for sharing knowledge, and it is probably not even for giving updates. Like the updates only serve as a vehicle for us to find ideas to workshop, but it's really when we don't know the answers and we're trying to figure it out. That's the only good stuff, I think. Yeah. We, avoiding situations where we're like conjecture versus like real hard experiences. Oftentimes, when we're workshopping, anytime I, I've started finding myself go, maybe this will happen, maybe this won't happen. I think this might, this will happen. It's usually bad. And I, and I try to replace that with going backwards and going, when in the past have I experienced Mm -hmm. something related to this and sharing a story or anecdote related to that? That's always usually better than trying to claim what might happen in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I don't know if there's anything useful in in that insight, but, uh, yeah, I think that's all I've got on my list. Two more downsides uh, because I'm super negative today. I should have done uh, downside. I, I wish I'd, I didn't even think of downsides. Well, I but. got it plenty for us. So, <laughs> <laughs> you'd think I don't like the podcast. Um, so, so the second to last downside is um, pon- podcast content is super hard to discover, Like, mm-hmm. which means, which is not, it's maybe not necessarily important to us, but it's this was a surprising downside to me. It's like, if people don't tell other people about Start to Last, people don't discover Start to Last. So... Um, I don't know if that's going to, that's a long-term problem that will never be solved, but you know, if, if we want more listeners, we really have to figure out a way to get people either. We have to tell people about start to last that could be interested in listening or other people have to share start to last with the people. People don't just stumble upon us. Yeah. And, and one of the problems with that is kind of the reason people listen to podcasts is they're doing something else. Mm. So almost every other form of online content, you're sitting at a computer or at least you have your phone screen turned on and you could share it with someone, you could comment. There's zero engagement with a podcast. Like nobody can comment on this sentence I'm saying right now. We're trying that with zip message though, which is kind of cool. So I really like the zip message thing. And I think it's added a more of a dual, not paranormal or not paranormal, parasocial, parasocial. <laughs> a parasocial, uh, sort of combating the parasocialness, like where we can hear back from listeners. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like long-term success is pretty out of our control. All we really can do is show up and record. And if people like it, hopefully they talk about it and continue to listen. Yeah. It would be very cool if some uh, entrepreneur solved this though. Like yes. I, I don't, I, I actually think it might be impossible to solve, but like if someone could make podcasting more shareable, more social, more engaged. I feel like searchability is the core problem. Like I, I go to Apple Podcasts. That's which, which maybe I should be on a different. Yeah, none of them app. are good though. Yeah, but I search and I, I find the, the the results make no sense for the query that I'm typing in. So uh, I don't know if someone solved that, please. I would really like to use the solution. Um, the final downside I have is I, I find um, 
the reason there's a kind of a balance that's that we have that we have to do, which is the right the main reason we do this podcast is for us. It's, you know, yes, we but we also want to have a good product for people listening. And so there's this balance between what's best to discuss and how to discuss it uh, for us, you and me, Tyler, versus what's best and more more thoughtful for the listener and their time that they're spending with us. And that's not always the same thing. And so I I, I don't like that balance. I think in an ideal world, I, I, I think we would always just do what's best for us and say, uh, you know, listeners, sorry, it's <laughs> not about you, <laughs> but I th- that's very, um, that doesn't feel good. So we end up finding a balance, but there's, that's definitely something you have to spend some time thinking about. And sometimes you don't get to, you don't, a conversation doesn't go the way you want it to, because it's not really good for the rate, for the experience, for the recording. Yeah. I agree with that. And at the same time, we talk so much more than we would otherwise. Like there's no question nets out to us having more good conversations than if we didn't have the podcast. Totally. It, it, this, that, that gets blown. The, the disadvantages of the podcast far get, get, get stomped by the advantages. Um, the f- final advantage I wanted to, you know, end on for me was, is my relationship with you. And I was trying to think about like, what about this podcast makes it better than maybe just talking regularly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a shared experience. Um, Getting up, like it kind of comes back to having to show up every week, record, put ourselves out there together. It's a shared experience that's kind of trying. It's like, it's why hazing works. Um, and so there is this element of shared experience, consistency, um, intimacy that I think you can't like replicate in a normal just hanging out. Um, that uh, it's kind of like going back to college together. And I don't know. I, so I really appreciate being able to go deep with you, um, relationship wise, uh, uh, that way. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point that I hadn't really thought of before. And like to self-reflect a little bit on that. So I'm kind of bad at having social interactions with no point. So and I, I've told you this before, like I'll go to dinner and when the dinner's over, I'm like, well, time to leave. Like, even if I'm having a great time, I'm like, there was an objective, which was to eat food. And they brought us the check. And we the objective then was to pay for the food. And we've done it. And now the objective is to leave. Shelly, uh, it's time to go. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and so this is why, like, I think a lot of people are like, this, this is why games exist. This is why, like, drinking games, for example. Why, why don't you just drink the beer? Well... There, I want a goal. I want a rules to tell me how much beer to drink. Or like, why do you have lawn games if you're having a barbecue? Uh, it just kind of puts structure around social interactions and, and makes a point. And I feel like, yeah, this is a social interaction, but where we share an objective of like, maybe if we talk real good, <laughs> like a few more people will listen or whatever. I, yeah, it, it kind of adds an extra layer to a social experience. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, and then on top of all of this, it's a huge ego boost. Absolutely. Well, we need to go out for the uh, the podcast awards. We we totally ignored them last time, but if they, uh, no, I don't actually want to do that. We're too, we're too good for awards. Too good for awards. We know we're the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, this was very self indulgent and egotistical, but maybe someone's still listening. Uh, you have anything else before this, we call it? Well, this entire podcast is to begin with self indulgent. Oh so. yeah, but this this episode was on a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah. No, I got no other thoughts. Uh, Chris, uh, Steve, thanks for 
thanks for the shout outs. Yeah, thanks. All right. <laughs> thanks for giving us a reason to be even more self-indulgent than we normally are. Um, I guess yeah. we're not doing sign-offs anymore, are we? No, we aren't. I'll we're just say, like, but if you like, if you want to see past topics like the ones I mentioned, or uh, if you want to uh, see the show notes that Tyler mentioned, um, go to startuptolast.com. See you next right. week. See you.